souls for Christ. That was expanding the kingdom. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? And what exactly is this uh, this idea of the kingdom of God? And how does that relate to the Apostolic Christian Church? Uh, I'd like to turn that over to Edwin now. All right. Uh, you probably all saw our, our mock debate this morning, and and uh, <laughs> I think it hit a bit of a nerve. That's why I'm seeing quite a quite a large group here. Um, so obviously, two potential visions were the, the the ones represented this morning about community of believers versus ministry to a lost and dying world. So just let's quickly look and see the the support for that. Um, <clears throat> certainly, the scripture. Uh, speaks of this wonderful, um, supportive com- um, community. There's commitment, there's belonging. Acts 2, that, that inspiring example, they're, they're getting together every day, they're eating together, they're supporting each other, there's unity. And it, it sounds great. In fact, we keep going. You know, there's, we can see all the, the value there is in the church, in the community. We see relationship. I mean, God has been in relationship from the very infinite past, right? There's always been a community. There's always been love. And uh, we all have that need inside of us for belonging. We need some accountability. We need a place where we feel supported. We need place people that can bear each other's burdens. It's not good for us to be alone. We know that that's one of the most extreme punishments they use for hardened criminals is put them in isolation because that's such a deep need we all have. <clears throat> On the other hand... Uh, the, the, the focus on ministry is right there in the Bible, too. We have the Great Commission sending us out to all the world to make known. I mean, Christ had that purpose, to, and he called us to be fishers of men, to, to bear fruit. If we're going to be like Christ, we're going to care about what Christ cares about, and he cares about the lost. And uh, that's important for us, too. It's important for us to have a sense of purpose, direction, that to feel that our lives are meaningful, they're having impact, that our church that we belong to is meaningful. We need a way to express our gratitude to God. We need to work together to a common goal. Another extreme punishment I heard recently, that uh, if, if you want to drive somebody crazy, uh, they, they've shown that a very quick way to do that, thank you, Brother Mark, he, he gave to you last week, is you just dig a hole... You get this person, he has to dig a hole, he has to fill it in. Dig another hole, fill it in. And, and, and the senselessness, the pointlessness, the lack of progress will drive that person crazy. Hopefully our churches aren't like that. <clears throat> um, so, we have uh, these two different visions and you saw, there's tension between the two. You saw the sparks flying. Now how are we going to decide which one we need to follow, right? Uh, do we have a public debate and tear each other apart? Do we have a, a vote here and everybody raise their hands? Okay, who, who likes the, uh, the, the community one? Raise your hands. Nobody. Or are you guys all asleep already? Okay, there I got three people in support of community. Okay, who likes the ministry one? Who, raise your hands. One. Oh, boy. Um, okay, or, or do we kind of go see where the trends are going? Or do we see, hey, you know, like, let's be realistic. What's pragmatic? What's going to work, you know? Or do we look to the past and our heritage and what defines us? 
Well, all those are human, human ways of doing things. Since this is really God's kingdom we're trying to expand, let's find out what God's vision for it is. And that's all spelled out very clearly in the Bible, right? We know vision is important. Without that vision, we'll perish. We'll be exposed to our own uh, senseless wanderings. And we need the securing direction of vision. And God's given us a vision for the church. It's right spelled out in scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 4 here, this is a, a nice key verse. We're going to come back to this. It gives us a vision for the church, right? <clears throat> it's, notice the, 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 all the first-person plurals in here, right? Till we all come in the unity of the faith to the end, till we all, that these verbs are first-person plural. I remember reading this in Spanish, which, where, you know, the verb ending spelled this out for me and say, this is not something I can do. I cannot grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's not for me to do. I can only do that with you. We all need to grow into the stature of Christ. This is our joint vision. And, we, and God wants us to grow into the head. And the last verse there is also key. We're going to come back to it, saying that for this, the whole body has to, every joint has something that is applied. Every joint's essential. And uh, it's not like, well, you know, you compromiser, I don't need you, or I, I don't need you, Deadwood, I'm going to go off and do my ministry thing. Everybody has, is necessary for this body to increase. This is God's vision. Go on. <clears throat> if we wanted to look at it pictorially here, we see that there's this body of Christ, and inside the bo- a body, you've got kind of different roles, different functions, right? And, and the verse 12 there that I kind of skipped over um, <clears throat> kind of brings all three together. It says that these gifts, and he's talking about different gifts that the Spirit's given to the church, are given for the perfecting, the maturing of the saints, for forming Christ in us. And in the same verse it says, for the work of the ministry, for this purpose, for this thing that God wants us to do, to have impact on the world, and for the edifying of the body, well, you need to be able to nurture and and make this body capable of doing that, right? You need both, right, to be effective. And we see that, we're talking about bodies. God's all given us human bodies, and we understand some very basic things about body. You know, you need nutrition, you need exercise. And what happens if you just eat and you don't exercise? You know, you don't have to look too far to see what happens, right? And it's not very healthy, and we see a lot of... Okay, I'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> I think my visual is... Uh, um, what happens if you do a lot of exercise, but you don't eat? You know, how long are you going to last, right? You're going to faint. You're not going to accomplish very much because you've got no fuel. Another simple example is the family. We talked in, in our abstract that these principles apply in your individual life, in your family life, and in the church life. These very same principles. And I'm going to leave a lot of the application to you in the individual and family life. But in the family life, you've got two roles, really. God's given two roles. Even though in Canada we think that uh, people are interchangeable and we can put two men or two women together. No, God's given a woman this natural capacity for nurturing and, and making a house, a home, a place of refuge, a place where people feel supported and loved. And he's given fathers the responsibility, even though they don't do it. So even though we have two parent families that are heterosexual, a lot of this isn't being done, fathers, that, that God's given you the role of, of providing direction 
and, and guidance to your family of where, what this family about and where is it going. We're going to get back to that in a later slide. Um, <clears throat> so if we have this vision of, of the church as a body of Christ, we're going to see that our focus is um, to, to follow the scripture. It says, come follow me, you know, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. It's Christ is our focus, right? And that's going to determine everything. He's the, the priority is now loving all just like Christ loved all. And that our security is in Christ. It's, it's in what Christ has done on the cross. It's in what Christ is doing and interceding. It's what Christ is doing in our life today. And we're going to get expand on that in a big way. That's going to be a very big key of where our security is. Now, What's the value of other members? Um, Go ahead. Uh, You know there's these emails that go around, and I've been on email since 1990, so I've seen them go around like 12, 15 times, right? And there's this this one that always brings tears to my eyes. I don't know if you've seen this, about this this father that's speaking to an association for uh, handicapped children, and he's talking about his son who's mentally handicapped, and he's wondering when he's born, he's saying, you know, what good is this child? Why did God send me this child? And, you know, then he tells her the story about this baseball game and how the, the son was trying to play, and obviously he wasn't very good, but he was able to just touch the ball, and the whole team fumbled on purpose and helped this, this guy uh, hit a home run. And, and he's saying, you know, what really was, uh, he's learned from that experience is it's not what my son brings into the world, it's what he brings out of us that he brings out this love and humanity and compassion, and that's what makes him so precious and valuable. So for these divergent brothers, for my brother here who's in my face telling me what I don't want to hear and arguing with me, do I see what he's bringing out of me? Do I see in my brothers and sisters what are they bringing Christ on me? Everyone is valuable because everyone has that, 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 that uh, value. Now, given that, what happens when there's problems in the church? What happens when there's pressure? What happens when there's disagreements? You know, we have this security to go back to. We can depend on Christ. And the end result is that God's vision is fulfilled. He's, he's, he's forming us into Christ. Um, but there's a problem, right? The problem is that that doesn't come naturally because man, nat- man naturally has his own vision of what they want in life, right? We want to be happy and comfortable. You take the time and you look at your life. I know, I've, I've noticed this about myself, that, uh, you know, when I start off my day, I prioritize my day about what's going to make me most happy and comfortable. Sure, they're all responsibilities and things I should do, but this one I'm going to enjoy. This one's going to make me comfortable. This is, you know, we talk about carnal Christians. We talk about feeding the flesh. and the, We talk about the sin nature, but it, if you think about happy and comfortable... It makes it really concrete. You know, hey, do you know which accommodation sold out first here at camp? <laughs> the air-conditioned deluxe units? You know, there weren't any of those in Webster Springs. Why are we in this kind of campus instead of in Webster Springs? You know, we are into our own comfort, and we are into naturally into using. What's in it for me? What have you done for me lately? You know, we see people as what we can get out of. We see things for what we can get out of it. And we, you know, the, the attitude today is, I know what I want and I want it now. And, uh, you know, you've heard lots of sermons on this. I don't need to give you examples, but, you know, this stuff, 
right throughout the Bible, it's right through our culture, you know, buy now, pay later, you know, relationships, you know, there's this, this girl and she's so nice to me and, you know, I think she has the same vision in life as me. She wants to make me happy and comfortable. And she thinks that, oh, this guy, he's so cute and so sensitive and, you know, he's got the same vision in life. He wants to make me happy and comfortable. What do you think is going to happen when these two guys, two get married, right? You see any problems developing? You know, instant gratification, um, <clears throat> Christianity, you know, instant Christian, changed overnight. You, I don't know if you remember the instant breakfast song. Uh, cheap grace, you know, the same thing. We all want to be happy and comfortable. We want to buy now, pay later, okay? Now, there's a problem when man's vision meets God's vision. God has a vision for us. We have our own vision of being happy and comfortable. And the problem is we got double vision, okay? That uh, we, we have conflicting visions. And what is two visions? Die vision, right? So, we, so this is our problem. And let's see how this works out. <clears throat> that we've got, there's, there's one group of people, you know, the people that I was kind of representing in our mock debate here that say... You know, I know God wants me to do all these things, but I'm not really comfortable with those unwashed heathen out there. I'm not really comfortable with them and the way they make me feel, but I like this group of people in church because they're like me. You know, and so I reduce the scope that God's called me to to something I'm happy and comfortable with. And let's see how that works out. <clears throat> right? So now my biblical focus has changed from following Christ to to, to, you know, there's this truth and love balance. And, you know, I'm really into truth, right? I understand that God's called me out of the world, and I like the idea of sanctification and separation, especially when it means there's only people like me left, okay? And my love is focused for those who are inside my, my little circle of happiness and comfort. And, you know, there's scripture that says that uh, uh, do good to all men, but first the household of faith, right? And I, I like that verse because I say, you know, I got so many things to do for the household of faith. Sorry, there's nothing left over, you know? And uh, I'm following scripture. <clears throat> and uh, my security, now watch this, my security has shifted from being in Christ to being the church, the community, especially the like-mindedness of the community. Because remember, that was my first mistake when I took my eyes off Christ and I, sh I, I reduced my scope, I says, I'm, I, I want to be comfortable with people like me. And guess what? That's what I'm trusting in to make me feel safe. And it also makes me feel kind of proud because there's a bit of exclusivity to this country club atmosphere. And now, why are people valuable to me? They're valuable to me because they support my vision of happiness and comfort. Just like that, that girl made me feel like, you know, now these people, when they agree with me, they make me feel happy and comfortable. And if you don't agree with me, I don't have use for you. I don't have use for Phil here. You let him go join the Baptist, right? And, uh, and so um, what happens when there's division, when there's pressure? You know, then you know, God has given certain things to the church. He's given authority to the church to maintain the church pure. But, but because I've shifted this vision to my happy and comfortable one, I can abuse that authority and say... You know, I start off with, you know, this group of people because I didn't want to handle people who are not like me. And guess what? There's somebody in here who's not like me, so let's 
reduce it further and split the church and reduce it further and reduce it further. And I've been in a church where there's eight people left because they kept trying to get people that were all the same mind and this guy didn't fit and this guy didn't fit and this guy didn't fit. And, and that's happened to, to the, the Anabaptist movement is one of the most splintered, uh, um, fragmented movements in history because of this trend. I also put the word stagnant in there. Why do you think it's also stagnant? Well, remember the first picture we had community and mission? Well, the mission isn't there, right? And what happens when we have nutrition and no exercise, right? There's no outlet. We get a bunch of people who are focused on each other and have no outward focus. It's not going to, to live. <clears throat> All right. Now, let's take a look at the other, uh, uh, some questions we need to ask ourselves to make sure. Now, I, I was pointing a very extreme point of view and you can say, well, it's a good thing I'm not like that. You know, I fast twice in the week, and I go out witnessing once a month. But uh, it, it's, it's, we need to ask ourselves some questions if those attitudes are in our hearts. You know, do we really feel Christ's compassion, or, or are we getting a checklist done when we look at the sin-sick people in our life? Do we feel that the Great Commission is, is optional? Uh, do we feel that our brother and sister, if they're, they're disagreeing with us, do we see them as a threat um, do we feel uncomfortable with reaching out because these people are different? And guess what? We bring them in and we might have to change. Do we, is that our attitude? Um, now, as we said, that, that's one way of having our happiness and comfort because our, our vision filters things, right? Because my vision of happiness and comfort, I take God's vision and I filtered it to community. Well, there's other people who might not feel comfortable with with all the depth of commitment that's involved in, in, in being your brother's keeper and, and trying to agree with all these people and, and, and spend all your time splitting hairs and, and, and getting involved. They, 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 they don't have time for that. They want to get going with ministry, right? Got ministry. You know, it takes, takes your happy and comfortable of got this and we use it in the kingdom. So what happens when, when our focus is, is doing things for God? Right, which is a very healthy focus, but when we, it's my happiness and comfort that have shrunk into that, I, I'm ignoring the called out because I'm focused on what I'm called to. I'm called to, to serve, and now my love also gets filtered to you know, forget those what's behind me, my the 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 the, the church. I, I need to go out and reach more people. I have a love for the lost. Bring them in, forget about them, and go on to the next one, right? And my security is in the very thing, the very same idol, right? Just like it was the community, it's, it's the ministry, it's, it's the results. I, I feel like I'm worth something because I'm getting something done. And, and uh, especially then, you know, this gives me a, 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 an opportunity to showcase talents, the, the hidden pride there is, you know, that this is about me doing things. Notice how it's not God doing things. It's, 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 it's down to something I'm comfortable with because it's more about me. And so now people are valuable to me when they've got talents that can help this ministry succeed. And what do I do when there's pressures? What do I do when, when <clears throat> there's... Uh, you know, it's when we're under pressure that the, the truth comes out. The truth came out here about the, the, uh, the community people that they were really into reducing their scope kind of breadth-wise. Well, guess how, 
how ministry people are. Instead of reducing their scope breadth-wise because they just can't handle it, because they're doing their, their, own, their own strength, they've got to reduce their scope somehow. They reduce the depth, okay? And we, we compromise. And we, you know, if there's, a, if there's a, you know, somebody who disagrees with me, that doesn't matter. We've got a job to do. Doctrine divides, truth divides, let's go on and let's, let's, let's take, take uh, uh, the space for the kingdom, <clears throat> but with shallower and, and uh, broader. And there's another thing I put in there, <clears throat> the revolving door. Why do you think it's a revolving door? Why do you think that people don't have that stick around and have that kind of uh, uh, community feeling there? Because we've abandoned community. We've abandoned relationship. Okay? Relationship's important. And we've deprioritized relationship for results. It's very much now going back to our lifeboat thing, like we're throwing out life preservers. Here, have one. Here, have one. Now you're safe. I'll save the next one. Or even if I'm pulling them in the lifeboat, I'm being very indiscriminate. I'll pull them in with the water. And guess what? What I'm bringing them into isn't a lot safer. <clears throat> so... We need to, again, you know, okay, I'm not some extreme, uh, um, you know, uh, evangelical here, you know, but look at our hearts and say, do we measure how much a person is worth by their talents? If they have a European accent, does that mean that, they, I, that I, I can't trust what they have to say because they don't speak English well? Does that mean they don't have spiritual insight? Um, <clears throat> do... Do because they haven't gone to university and they can't juggle ideas and as quickly and as fast as I do, does their intellectual ability disqualify them from having to speak truth into my life? Do I judge them by their abilities? Do I feel that outreach is really a priority over edifying the church? <clears throat> do I feel, am I impatient with authority? Am I impatient with accountability? Do I feel like it gets in the way of my results? <clears throat> Do I understand God's authority and plan for the church? I mean, if you look and you just type in church in your search uh, engine on the Bible, you'd be amazed at what the Bible has to say about his plan for the church, how it's the foundation, the pillar on the ground, how it's adding to the church, how, how it's the means by which he wants to show the manifold wisdom of God. It's the church. Have you, do you understand that it's not about what you can do but about what God's doing in his body. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> so we've, we've shown how kind of both are compromises, both are, you know, retreating to our comfort. And uh, now, there's something that's true. This is a principle that applies to your individual life, to your family life, and to the church life. God is in the process of calling you out of your comfort, your immaturity, to maturity, to learning to submit and depend on him and, and to be able to tackle things you think you can't do. He's, he's, he's doing that in your life, and you know that. If you have any experience with God, you know he's always asking you to do things you don't feel comfortable doing, right? And in the process, you have to learn how to depend on him and submit to him. Now, this is also true with Jesus Christ himself, that learned obedience by the things which he suffered. It's also true... If um, we said we're going to come back to the family, now I could have a whole forum on this topic, and but so fathers, I just need you to listen for one minute because that's all I have today. This is very critical. This is your responsibility. Your responsibility is to call your children 
your sons out of their comfort. You know, mom's doing a nice job of nurturing them. If you have to call them out of that to a purpose, to a direction in life. And guess what happens if you don't do that? Guess what happens if you're too busy making money? Guess what happens if you're not in tune with, with your need of your role? That they grow up very self-centered, self-focused, and we have a society that we have today. And so I want you to think about that a little bit. How about you need to be like God? And when you call them out, they're going to kick and resist because they don't think they can handle it. So they need to learn not only submission, you better do it or else, but they need to know that you're there to support them. They need to learn to depend on you as they're called out to do things they don't know how to do. That's mentoring. That's discipling. That's what Christ did. That's what God's done. And that's what we need to do as fathers if we want our families to expand. Now, Phil's going to take over this idea of, of seeking your own happiness and comfort. But the problem is, we're missing our calling. We're not being called out of this. By retreating from God's vision and our dependence on Him into our own kingdom of comfort, we have taken upon ourselves our own security. We are now king of our own domain. Because my priority is happiness and comfort, and when someone shakes that, uh, I, I, I now have to fix that problem. You know, you're not, you're not making me happy and comfortable anymore, and depending on my vision of the kingdom of God and how this applies, I'm going to react in different ways, right? Okay, well, if I'm being called out from that, where do I get my security from? Oh, two there. Well, our security actually comes from knowing that our king is in control of everything in his kingdom. If I'm leaving my kingdom of happiness and comfort to, for God's kingdom... My security is that I no longer have to uh, take the onus of fixing all of my problems upon myself. I don't have to take all those burdens and stresses of dealing with people that don't agree with me and make it something personal. This is God's kingdom now that we're talking about, and it can't be shaken. Uh, When we depend upon God for what we cannot do and submit to him for what we can, we find rest. And the verse that illustrates this beautifully is is found in, in Matthew. Uh, Christ tells us that he's, that all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls in me. Why do we find rest? This is the same thing that allowed Christ to sleep in the, in the, in the boat when it was on the, on the sea being tossed by the waves, and the disciples came and grabbed Christ and said, we're perishing, Master. He understood that everything was happening according to God's plan. Everything was being fulfilled in the way that God wanted it to be, and that God's kingdom was going to be accomplished because he had the power to keep it. Here's the next big step. We kind of understand that, okay, yes, everything in God's kingdom is happening according to his will. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. But I look around at the world and, you know, we've got the bombings in London, uh, we've got this whole Al-Qaeda problem, we get orange alerts at the border, we get whatever. All of these things that, you know, this, this world just does not seem to be very in control. Well, I want us to look for a few minutes at these verses in Hebrews. Okay, this is talking about Christ now. And the scripture says from verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. What are the works of, of, of God's hands? Everything. Everything in creation. Okay, here's, here's the next big leap. Is Satan under Christ? Is he created? 
Does Satan have free reign to do as he pleases? And, you know, well, we just need to kind of keep our head down and, you know, maybe God will provide us an umbrella for a while uh, to, to, to keep this, this from, from affecting us? Or is Satan also under Christ? Are all things happening according to God's vision? Okay. The next thing we're going to look at is vision predetermining action. We never act outside of our vision. And let me give you an example of that. <clears throat> Suppose I'm a potter. I want to make a dish for my dog. The vision is to make a dog dish. Pretty simple. I take a lump of clay, start working it. Okay. Yeah, it'll hold water. That's good enough. It, fil- it fulfills my vision. My action has been predetermined by my vision. Now, what happens if my vision is to create a beautiful vase? Something that's going to go in a museum of art one day. Something that is just going to be perfection. How am I going to approach this clay with this vision? Well, everything that I do to this clay from when I start to when I finish is going to be shaped by this vision of a perfect vase. I'm going to use, use water where the clay starts getting hard. I'm going to use pressure. I'm going to mold it and shape it where there's a little bit of dried clay that's marring the surface. I'm going to scoop it out because that's in the way of the vision. Uh, wherever there, if I find an air bubble in that clay, air bubbles are bad in pottery. <laughs> if you've ever, you ever done any pottery, you know this. I'm sure anyone who's done any work with clay, the whole piece blows up if it's got an air bubble in it. God knows this, and we're like this clay that he's working. He's working us. He's removing these imperfections. When, we, when, he, when he sees, finds an air bubble in us, he knows how, how crucial it is that that air bubble come out. So he does something that from the outside people look at it and go, you just wrecked your pot. I actually saw potters do this. They carve a hole right in the side of their pot. Cut it right up. You, you just wrecked it. What do you do? It's not going to be a beautiful vase anymore. I'm not done with it yet. And so what, what happens is God continues to mold and shape and work it all according to his vision. I want you to skip back one slide for a second because there's one thing I didn't touch on. But now we see not yet all things put under him. This is why, you know, Christ is not reigning in a, in a really visible way where the person who, who uh, does evil is immediately punished. The person that, that does good is immediately rewarded because he is forming Christ in us according to his vision and he's not done yet. But all things are still under him. That doesn't change that fact. That's still bedrock. That's security. I want you to flip on to the next slide for a second. Uh, okay, right. The potter's vision. He is orchestrating all things to be made like Christ to make us like Christ. Whatever it is, all of creation, everything that happens to you in your life is being done with the intent of forming Christ in you. This is, this, is a, this is a big shift. This was a big shift for me when we started looking into this idea. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are in earth, even in him. Here it is being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God's got a vision for us. That's his will. And he is working everything. He's shaping everything. His vision is predetermining his actions in a way that will make Christ come out of us. Um, I'm going to need uh, Edmund here to be a volunteer. Um, shake my wrist. No, no, really shake it. Look what you've done! I can't believe... Look at this mess. I've got water on me. You've got... Look at the water on the floor. I mean, you could wreck the mic equipment. Why did you do that? Why did I get wet? Someone asked my question. 
Why did I get wet? <laughs> I asked for it. That's true, too. We're going to see how that works. Why did I get wet? Exactly. <laughs> it's not because he shook the cup. There was water in the cup. This is, this is like a, a paradigm shift for me when I kind of realize this. That, you know, if I really believe that God is doing everything to shape me like Christ, okay, and when Edmund shook me, something came out that I wasn't too proud of. I got upset, got angry. I wasn't showing Christ. That was actually from God. I asked for it. I asked God to shake me to show how Christ is not in me yet. To show me areas in my own life, my own kingdom of comfort, that is not under the control of God's kingdom. This is a big jump. Uh, this is something I think our church is, is, is struggling with. What do you do with people that don't agree with you? Could they have been sent by God to shake you, to show you how you are not being formed into the image of Christ? Okay. God shakes us to reveal that Christ is not completely be formed in us. See, once Christ is formed in us, when someone shakes us, Christ is going to come out. Christ is going to come out when we're shaken by circumstances, and people are going to notice um, really what he's doing is he's exposing our heart of unbelief. He does this by removing his mercy and grace. I think everyone who has walked with Christ for any length of time has, has come to this understanding. That when we think we're doing things, okay, I've got it together, I know what my vision is, uh, I'm, I'm involved in these small group discussions, uh, I do things with the young people, um, you know, I need to do more, and we fall flat on our face. We think that we're, we're doing all this stuff and we're indispensable. God removes his mercy and grace and we realize we're walking on our own, our own power. And that all this good stuff that I thought I was doing that was for the kingdom of God was actually just me being happy and comfortable and saying, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, you know, there's no, people can't say I'm not involved in church. I am definitely involved in church. But by removing his mercy and grace, he takes away the power to do these things and we fall. We get shaken. Stuff comes out of us that we... I didn't know this was even in me. Right? When we're malleable clay, we are completely dependent on his vision to shape us. I don't have my own private agenda that I'm working on. I don't have to work around other brothers and sisters in the church to get what I want to get done. I'm dependent on God's vision to shape me, and I'm going to even depend on my brothers and sisters to expose things in me that need to come out. Okay, here's a checklist for us to look through when we find ourselves in conflict with our brothers and sisters and with actually anyone. Am I in division with God? Is my vision of happiness and comfort interfering with God's vision of forming Christ in me? Is my vision for this my own happiness or is it to display the Lord Jesus? Is God shaking out my self-vision through this individual or situation? When I find myself in division with someone, ask, what is my vision? What's their vision? And do I have the right to hold on to my vision? Is my, my vision for this thing because of my own happiness and comfort, or, or am I really looking for Christ to come out of the situation? How is God using this division to make us both like Christ? I put my hand up twice when, when Edmund was asking about this ministry and, and community. It's because there are elements in both that are necessary. And I may have a leaning one way, and Edmund may have a leaning the other way, but together, if we display the love that's supposed to be the hallmark of Christ's disciples, we're going to both grow together in Christ. Uh, am I loving? Am I trusting? 
If I'm trying to correct someone's um, wrong vision, I've never convinced someone in an argument yet. I mean, this just has not happened with me. When you're in a heated debate, you are not going to convince someone. But if you use meekness to instruct someone, you give them space. You give them grace to change their mind, to say, you know what, well, maybe I was wrong. Instead of a whole bunch of personal attacks like we did. We don't need you. We don't need you. You're holding me back from my vision, right? That's the wrong way. How can I gently, lovingly correct someone's vision when it is in conflict with mine? And can we come to the same vision? And where we have been in error, we need to confess, to apologize, and to refocus our vision on Christ. Here's the other tool. We talked about God shaking us. That's one tool. That's him picking things out of the clay. But there's a whole other set of tools that God uses when he's working on us. He's using tools that shape us. The kingdom of heaven is not all about you. Here's the problem with a lot of, a lot of ministry-focused parachurch organizations. Is it's all about the individual. It's not about you. God's vision is actually for Christ's whole body to grow into the fullness of Christ, as Edmund talked about in Ephesians 4.13. The church is God's tool to bring out Christ in each of us, through adversity or through edification and encouragement. Both. Both are used. For whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that with every joint supplieth, uh, worketh in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's also another benefit to this, these, these tools of the church. We're finite beings. I'm a, I'm a finite being. I have my own things that I'm happy and comfortable with and things that take a lot to get me outside of it. There's other people where that may not hold true. Let's look at this verse now, Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What does manifold mean? To my best understanding, it means multifaceted. God is infinite. We are finite, right? How does the infinite, invisible God show himself to his finite, limited, physical creation? He does it through the church. He uses our different viewpoints, our different life experiences to show how Christ is being formed in all of us and that we are coming together in the fullness of the image of Christ. Okay, this is God's vision in action. This is expanding the kingdom. It's not this or that. Let's just look through these verses in Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, called out, according to his purpose, his vision, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. This is his vision, predetermining his action. He's got this idea that he's going to form us into Christ, and everything that's happening in creation, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, all of this is for the purpose of forming us into the image of Christ, to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's vision. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren, not just me. Many brethren. This is the church. This is how this body of believers actually functions as a body. This is how every joint supplies so that the body can grow. So it can grow up into the image of the fullness of Christ, which is God's vision. It's bigger than a personal vision. It's a vision for his body. God's kingdom expands to the extent that Christ is formed in all of us. And we need all of us. This is crucial. This is the thing that has sapped the strength of the Anabaptist movement historically, where because those that didn't agree were, were, were simply put out, the, the vision shrunk and this was not understood. And these, you know, the, the small group of, of community that just shrivels up and dies and ceases to exist 
because of this, because Christ is not being formed by all the members. We've kind of seen, I think it's easy for us to understand the problem. I think it's easy for us to understand the problem because we live in it, right? We understand how we can retreat and how the kingdom of, of heaven, instead of expanding, is retreating when we decide to limit things by ignoring, on the one hand, you know, the need for depth of relationship, the need for accountability, the need to be in relationship, deep relationship with people and submitted. Um, and on the other hand, ignoring the need to reach out and do Christ's work in a messy, dirty, hurting world where I'm not going to be able to go home and watch TV because I might be with drug addicts and, and you know, people who, who, who are very needy and demanding. We're talking about here expanding the kingdom. And that means, it, it, it means not numbers. It doesn't mean filling stadiums. It doesn't mean knocking down the walls of Jerusalem with, with swords. It, it really means denying ourselves, learning to submit and depend and be called out of my own comfort and security and know that God is actually using the cross not as something for me to be a martyr about. Not as something to say, oh, you know, he's my cross that I have to bury. Or, you know, this is the thorn in the flesh. But actually, that God is doing something very constructive by me taking up that cross. Very constructive. He's taking that air bubble and working out because he knows if not, I'm going to explode under fire when I'm fired, right? And so when the scripture says, take up your cross, deny yourselves, it's not optional. If we want to expand, it's about that. And once you've done that, once Christ has really formed in you, and you can embrace your brothers, all of them, and you can embrace the lost, all of them, with the Christ love, then Christ is going to be formed in you. I don't know if you understood Phil's point, that expanding the kingdom is directly proportional to how much Christ is forming you. Christ is Christ's kingdom. You know, you've got the, I don't know, Tom last night, I, I, he really inspired me, you know, that you've got to choose. There's this kingdom that, that without hands that's smashing this earthly kingdom and it's growing. If you want to be a part of it, you've got to let it be a part of you. You've got to let it be all of you, Right? And so when Christ is, for, is formed in us individually and collectively, then God's kingdom is command. No magic formula, no ministry, no sign up here, no, you know, let's do this, you know, or let's, no retreat. It's going forward, trusting in God to who knows what he's going to ask us to do that we're uncomfortable with and being comfortable with that because we trust him. I hope... Uh, that, that gives you a little bit of an idea, and hopefully we can get beyond things. We can have some time for questions. Yes, I see one here, Ron. Yes. Um, the question you asked, how do you feel Christ's compassion for the sin-sick or the ignorant Christian person that thinks they're Christian or, or perhaps they are very shallow without giving them the impression that everything is okay? Let's say that the part of your extended family nieces or whatever mm. go to church with a shallow... And then they get involved with the, uh, some friends uh, or boyfriends. Um, how do you show 
children compassion and love and you have a close relationship and at the same time preach to them that they're doing wrong. It sounds elementary, but I've been there and I struggled with it and I couldn't Thanks, Ron. I can really identify with that. The question was, uh, <clears throat> how can you show love and compassion uh, to, uh, to people that are doing wrong things? You know, how, how can you still be close to them? I think you said a lot better. <laughs> I, uh, I know I have a weakness, you know, and, and the air bubble inside of me that God has to gouge and, and work out is that I, I want to please people. You know, I, I find security in people liking me. And, and, uh, and so I have, a, I have a natural empathy for these people. I love them, but I come up and, and I see them involved in these things that I know is destructive, I know is going to hurt them. And if I'm going to tell them the truth, they're going to be offended. They're not going to like me anymore. You know, and that's going to, you know, I, I'm going to be outside my kingdom of comfort. And so, but really, if I love them, I can't leave them there. And I need to tell them the truth. And that may, I have to risk the relationship. It's scary for me because I don't want to break the relationship. But I have to risk the relationship. Now, there's one thing we haven't talked about here. It's the Holy Spirit, right? And I remember in being in camp, many years ago, and the people going through a vase factory, and they came with this vase and says, now, you know, go ahead, take this two-by-four and beat on it, and they would beat on it, and this vase wouldn't break, and then they put it upside, right side up, and they dropped the P inside, and it shattered, and they said, well, why, why does that happen? It was because the way the vase was formed, all the tension in the glass was directed for the out outward. And so if you come up to a person like that and say, you know, you're going to hell and what you're doing is wrong and, and, and let me tell you what the good book says and you come out with that outside, outward force, you know, you're going right where the defenses are because in those, they've got their kingdom comfort, they've got their barriers up because they're insecure, right? We have to find the Holy Spirit to find the way inside their hearts so, but we need to speak truth and that's where I compromise. I need to speak truth to them. And yeah, it might hurt them, and I might need to leave them space, but they'll know that I cared about them. People don't know, care what you know until they know that you care. I'm not sure if I answered your question very well. I know it's, it's a tough thing to actually help somebody, to, things that they don't understand, they don't know where you're coming from, and to do it in a loving, caring way. But don't avoid it, because that's not loving them. Jesus didn't do that, right? And I guess we have a forum this afternoon on that subject. We'll probably explore that some, some further. It's a very tough one when your family's involved. Any other questions? I guess we're at time. So thank you very much for your attendance. Apply that to the church.